We're in the midst of a healthcare revolution. Digital health is breaking down barriers for patients and providers, changing the way we do business, regulate healthcare reimbursement, and deliver care. From telemedicine solutions to medical devices to AI to innovations we can't even name yet. It's taken years of dedication from innovative leaders to pursue healthcare progress. How did we get here? What's around the corner for digital health? Let's find out together in Trailblazing with Digital Health Pioneers. Hello, and welcome to Trailblazing with Digital Health Pioneers. I'm Lisa Mazur, co-chair of the Digital Health Practice at McDermott, Will & Emory. And joining me today is Lee Shapiro. Lee is the managing partner of Seven Wire Ventures, an investment firm that he co-founded with Glenn Tolman more than two decades ago, and is dedicated to funding early stage technology solutions that advance health, quality, and outcomes. Lee has over 20 years of experience as an executive in the healthcare industry, including at Allscripts, and most recently as CFO for Lavango Health, where he led its 2019 IPO and its precedent-setting acquisition of Teladoc in 2020. He has served as a board member for numerous innovative healthcare companies, associations, advisory committees, and research funds across the United States. Lee, thank you so much for joining us today. We are incredibly excited to have this conversation with you. Lisa, thanks so much for having me here, and it's great to see you. And just by way of admission, I am a recovering attorney, so I have a lot of empathy for what you go through. Okay. <laughs> well, that is a great perspective to bring um, to this conversation, and um, we are just delighted to have you. So um, with that, let's start from the beginning. Um, how did you and Glenn decide to raise a venture fund that's focused on the digital health sector? Glenn and I had been investing together. Uh, now it's been close to 30 years. And we started with the idea that you could use technology to address broken business process. We started in a number of different industries, travel and entertainment, home shopping, um, working to help um, charitable organizations manage their relationships with their donors, things in retail. And when we came to healthcare, we realized there was enough broken process to last us a lifetime. And so we said, this is a huge portion of our economy and it makes such a difference in terms of our, our day-to-day life. Uh, health is such an important aspect of what we all strive for. And we felt that there was a double, double bottom line opportunity here uh, to do well by doing good. And so we focused on, on building out um, Seven Wire Ventures really focused uh, in a purpose-built way to create a fund that was built by operators for operators, uh, because Glenn and I don't come from backgrounds of sitting in front of Bloomberg terminals. Um, we've built businesses and we wanted to work closely with entrepreneurs to help them achieve their dreams and hopefully learn from all the mistakes that we've made over the years. Um, we've now done this a few times um, in terms of, of fund building. I'm Pleased to share that we just announced the closing of our most recent connected health consumer fund, $150 million fund with some great partners, um, including Alyssa Jaffe and Robert Garber, David Schoenthal, who are joining us on this journey. Oh, that's fantastic. Um, you've shared with us, you know, that you your you know passion and focus for healthcare and, and um, trying to fix what's broken. Um, you know, based on what you've seen, what types of digital health solutions do you think really have the most chance of success of really improving healthcare? So we focus on the consumer side of the equation. I'll come back to that in a moment. 
But of course, there are a number of digital health solutions that are to improve the efficiency of delivery inside a healthcare system, whether that's a provider office or a hospital, doing things to improve the operations of a health plan, or even to administer benefits by third-party benefit administrators or pharmacy benefit managers. What we believe is that as consumers, um, we don't want to be patients. We want to be healthy. And when we leave a doctor's office, we are on our own. And so what are the types of tools that we can deliver and support companies that are providing those tools that allow us to better manage health on our own? So that's why we think about health as opposed to healthcare and about consumer rather than patient. So in kind of our world, the things that have to be present in order to be successful are really three key ingredients. One is you have to build a great engaging consumer experience. And to do that, you have to think about fitting into the life flow Mm -hmm. of all of us as a consumer. So when we set out, for example, um, Glenn founded and we backed a company called Livongo that you mentioned early on, where we invested, I served on the board, I stepped in as CFO, just showing kind of our model of how we operate. Um, We were helping individuals with diabetes, but also with hypertension, weight management issues to basically get a better experience than what they were able to get using the tools that they used already. Many people with diabetes use a glucometer. Mm -hmm. Well, oftentimes that is, I say this nicely, a dumb box. Um, And if you remember to bring it with you to your doctor's appointment, the doctor might upload months worth of data, scan it for a minute or two, and then think about some adjustments to make in your medication. But what we imagined was a different environment where all that data, every time you tested, was shared with the cloud, where it could be monitored by smart algorithms to see whether or not you, Lisa, might have a different range of normal blood sugar than me. What's normal for you? And are you trending outside of the boundaries of what's normal? And if you are, let's do things to keep you in range as opposed to waiting until it spikes or drops which could be really dangerous for your health. And so when you do things like that for people, when they say, wow, like, you know, when I'm testing and you make sure I never run out of test strips, like you're sending them to me before I've run out and, and I don't have to go to the pharmacy and get more of those, or you're calling me when you see my blood sugar is too high. And I tried to sneak that donut and you caught me. Mm -hmm. Um, And that maybe wasn't the right decision to make, but I'll do better with my nutrition because you've given me guidance on what to do. Being there as that partner and that companion in a way that people appreciate and like, that's the first element. Now, if that first element's present, then people will use it more often. So in my Livongo example, we were able to get people to actually monitor their blood sugar more often than what they were doing before they had a service with a coach available to them 24 by 7. And so we were getting more data and more information. Having more information allowed us to make our algorithm smarter and provide better guidance. And so that loop, that iterative loop of knowledge was something that provided the consumer with a better experience, but also allowed us to improve outcomes. So that's the second piece of the equation. And the third piece, A plus B should equal C, which is if you have great usage, 
and better outcomes, it should provide a strong return on investment. And so what we saw was that, yes, our outcomes were better. People didn't need unnecessary office visits. They avoided going to the emergency room. They maintained their blood sugar better. They, they used their medications wisely. And so in doing that, you end up reducing the cost to the sponsor of healthcare. So if McDermott, Will and Emery were a client, and actually I think you are a client of, of Livongo, um, what your benefit managers would say is, this is great. In fact, most of the time I end up getting nasty emails like from people who say, like what you're doing for me as a benefit leader, it's terrible. I don't enjoy the experience, but I'm getting like fan mail for bringing <laughs> Livongo to our population. Like that doesn't happen for me as a benefit leader and I'm saving money. And so if you can do those three things, those are the necessary elements to make a great and successful consumer-oriented experience for health. That is just beautifully said, Lee, and um, makes complete sense. Um, you made a very complicated topic sound very straightforward and clear. And I, the other thing that I think is unique, too, is it fits within the existing healthcare ecosystem. It's not disparate or separate, but in fact, you know, it, it is helping a, a consumer and a patient, you know, use that data too to work with their uh, endocrinologist or their primary care physician and, um, you know, help evolve that treatment plan to take into account, you know, the, the you know, the access and the services that like a Livongo can provide. So it's not a chronic disease management platform that's separate and apart from, you know, a, a patient's existing relationship and how they operate within that health system. Um, and that, it seems like that's also really important for success too. Like if a patient's doctor is unfamiliar with a product, you know, there tends to be a, a reaction that it's not, you know, going to be meaningfully integrated within their, you know, their treatment plan and therefore um, also not reimbursed or covered by health plans. Um, and as a lawyer and a recovering uh, lawyer, you know, it, it also operates outside of like the well-defined like laws and regulations and, and that box that exists today, which as you know, there isn't a whole lot of gray or, you know, flexibility um, when it comes to innovation. And, and so we're often dealing with laws and, and regulations that were developed for that defined ecosystem of, of healthcare. Doesn't really take into account, you know, those that operate, you know, totally outside of it. Um, Lee, as you were talking to, it got me thinking about just COVID and all, you know, just how digital health has completely exploded, but also somehow states and the federal government kind of stood up and, and said that they needed to find pathways to encourage utilization, to encourage access and, um, you know, take down the barriers that make it hard for healthcare providers to deliver care across state lines and for, um, you know, patients to continue seeing their healthcare providers uh, in reimbursement. There were all kinds of great changes to Medicaid and Medicare reimbursement, some of which are becoming permanent, but many of which are not. Have you given any thought to what you would like to see, you know, what waivers were put in place that you'd like to see become, you know, permanent? Well, Lisa, you, you make a number of great points. And, and before I, I touch on the regulatory schema that came to being during the public health emergency or the pendency of this emergency, um, there were a few other things that you mentioned because I think there are some lines that are starting to emerge in the healthcare space around those types of solutions that are extension mm -hmm. of what's happening at a health system level from a provider or a hospital. Um, basically, think of it as care everywhere. 
So now you have health systems thinking about the fact that I can actually provide services to an individual at their home and, and do it in a way that may be less expensive, that has a better recovery pathway and protects that patient. So if I were to need to have knee surgery and based on how slowly I'm running, maybe that would help. But um, if I were, I might go to an ambulatory surgery center and recover at home and never stay in the hospital. But yet I might be monitored at home to make sure that I'm not getting an infection. My chance of sepsis is going down. I'm more likely to get food that I like to eat when I'm at home to keep my strength up. And so there's this move towards hospital at home that's happening that many health systems are thinking about how do we partner with some of the digital health companies to provide those services that extend the reach of our care. So that's the first category. And like with the Lavango, what we were doing is helping to reinforce the care plan that a provider might have issued and to be able to give better insights and knowledge to a provider about how their patient is doing with what it was that they prescribed for them. There's a second piece though of interactions that can occur that might be disruptive to the healthcare system. So I use the example of my daughter um, she lives in Los Angeles. When she needs to leave work to go to the doctor, you probably know, and for those listening in the Los Angeles area, um, you can't get anywhere in less than 45 minutes and park and get to an appointment. So she does that. She goes to the waiting room. She waits 15, 20 minutes. She then gets into an exam room. She waits 15 or 20 minutes. And then she sees the doctor for five minutes who renews her medication, sends the prescription to a pharmacy, which she now leaves, pays for parking, drives to, stops at the pharmacy, and then drives back to work. Like this is a multi-hour process. Well, what we saw during the course of the pandemic, circling back to your questions on the regulatory framework, she was able to do that in five minutes online. Literally log in, see a doctor, sometimes associated with her practice, sometimes not, to get a medication refill that was delivered to her door. Like, how great is that? And so wonderful consumer experience, but it takes a lot of the inefficiency in a process that wasn't purpose-built around consumers and allows now care to be delivered in different ways. So there will be certain types of disruptive tools that come to, play, to, to forward that I think will provide better benefits, lower cost, and will manage things differently than what the old system did. And you had mentioned that, that from a telehealth standpoint, um, one of, I think, the key changes that CMS put forward was parity in reimbursement for telehealth visits. And the agreement to allow providers to practice across state lines via telehealth also removed barriers for many patients. And, and I think that expanded pool of providers also made healthcare more accessible for areas where there weren't providers available to do that. Now, I do think that one of the changes that were made that I'd like to see continue is some level of parity. I think that we'll see some pressure to have some level of cost differential for telehealth reimbursement than in-person visits. I'm not certain that it's fully justified using the example that I just gave, that that prescription online 
um, certainly had as much, if not more value to my daughter as doing an in-person visit. But there may be some level of, of change that occurs there, um, but I do think that that should continue. One other that um, existed was a waiver in particular around a challenge that, that many are, are aware of around our opioid addiction and, and substance use, substance abuse. And the waiver for medication assisted therapy to be delivered virtually um, has been successful and has allowed those who do suffer from addiction disorders to get treatment in ways that they might not have been able to receive. And, and that's another area that we would like to see the waiver continue. Oh, I think that's exactly right. I mean, we still have 55% of US counties don't have a single behavioral health provider. It's astounding um, that just the shortages are, are devastating to some communities and substance use disorder even less. So I think you're, you're, you're right on Lee. And um, there are a couple of bills, you know, like Treat, Treat Act and, and others that are focused on making it easier to get people that access to care. But um, at the end of last year, a bill was passed by Congress that basically would require a visit in person every six months in order for that service to be covered um, is a covered service by Medicare when delivered via telehealth. And so, you know, again, going back to 55% of US counties don't have a behavioral health provider. Where do you go? How do you meet that in-person requirement? It really limits the ability of, a, of, of an awesome, you know, strong telepsychiatry practice to truly, you know, take off. So, um, but hopefully that will be fixed. And um, some of those waivers that you mentioned will, will become more permanent. Um, you know, Lee, it would be great to hear your perspective too on, um, you know, and you shared the common elements of, you know, a successful, you know, digital health offering. But I know, you know, we have a lot of uh, what we call change makers out there who are listening. You know, McDermott, we have a very large portfolio of early stage, growth stage type companies. And, you know, seeing you on, on this, they're, they're going to be wondering, like, what would Ali Shapiro look for when he's looking at an early stage company? What, what makes them an attractive um, addition to you? Well, um, first and foremost, we find founders who will tolerate us because we can be really <laughs> annoying um, and, and you know, someone who's willing to learn. And actually, a willingness to learn is really important. But with early stage companies in particular, um, we spend a lot of time with founders and get to know them and make sure there's a good fit culturally. Um, we take what we do seriously, but we don't take ourselves seriously, as you might be able to tell. And so being able to do this with folks that we're going to enjoy spending time with, because when you're building a company, um, this is not something that happens overnight. Um, people look at Livongo and from IPO to merger with Teladoc was a little over a year, but the company was well over seven years in terms of that build to get to that point. And so it is something that you have to be comfortable with one another. And with respect to the qualities that we think make um, for great founders. It's a, a, a passion for what it is that they're doing. Um, oftentimes that comes from personal experience or from experience of someone that they care for or, or care about. Um, second, uh, a willingness to understand that um, there needs to be an openness for other ideas because where they start to where they end up may be somewhat different. And so that ability to pivot and to adapt, especially as the market changes will be important. Another quality that we look for is resilience. 
um, because oftentimes you're knocking on a lot of doors and hearing a lot of no's uh, before you can get the customers to buy in and to really start using the offering that you have. And I think being a, a team builder, um, recognizing that having a diverse team around the table um, is important to get a lot of perspective shared. And especially when we look for companies with diverse founders, mm -hmm. um, we want to do is they're thinking about ways that they can bring multiple voices to the table and recognize that they're made better by leveraging the experiences of those who come from different backgrounds and different beliefs. And that's really important and something that I think that we've learned is part of a successful formula for building a company. Are there any companies, if you're comfortable sharing, are there any companies that you know, you're know you partnering with right now that you think are doing something particularly special? Well, I could talk about the companies we work with for a long time. So one of them we're, we're quite proud of is uh, called Consejo Sano. And it also will give a great example of a pivot. The founder, an African-American gentleman named Abner Mason, um, had spent a lot of time working on a number of health issues, um, both in government, um, helping to set up um, HIV AIDS programs, working to establish um, healthcare services in Mexico. And when he came back to Los Angeles where he lives, he realized that 40% of the population in California speak Spanish, but 4% of doctors do. And so he understood that the experience for Spanish speakers was one that was based on this model of press one for English, press two for Spanish, like not at all culturally sensitive. And even people who speak Spanish come from different backgrounds. Someone from Puerto Rico is going to be different from someone from Mexico or Guatemala or Spain. And so how do you start to create culturally sensitive journey maps for individuals to allow them to interact with healthcare in a way that they feel comfortable with accessing and to start taking the actions that they need to engage with healthcare in a meaningful way. So whereas he started with creating these cultural journeys for Spanish speakers, Conseo Sano now does this across 27 different cultures. They have cultural ambassadors who are creating these journeys and doing work with health plans and provider groups to allow for better interactions with their members. And they're having a tremendous impact on getting people in for care and doing things that are keeping them healthy. So that's one. A second example is, is one, and I seem to just be focused on the West Coast now, based in San Diego called Zorigo. Um, Zorigo helps individuals with skin conditions to get better control of their health. And I'll talk a little bit about how they do this, but essentially, if you have psoriasis or eczema, vitiligo, um, you'll see a dermatologist and they might prescribe some type of topical cream. And if you don't respond well to that, then the next level of stepped up therapy for you would be to have UV light treatment. Unfortunately, only 15% of dermatologists have UV, UV light booths in their offices. And so when they don't have that available, then they prescribe an expensive biologic mm -hmm. that oftentimes has a lot of side effects. And where they do have it available in those small percentage of occasions, you have to go in up to three times a week for UV light treatment. 
And that certainly isn't very convenient for a consumer take off time of work and to get into the doctor's office, they're only open certain hours a day. Zerigo provides a home use UV light wand that's connected to the cloud. We know how often you're using it. We know the intensity of the light that's being applied, which is prescribed, but it can be changed through a consultation with a teledermatologist. You have a coach available to you 24 by seven to answer questions. And because you're doing it in convenience of your home, consumers love it. And their like, compliance with using it is off the charts. Now, what you're avoiding in that case, if you're thinking about this from the perspective of a health plan, is a regime of biologics that could cost 35,000 or more a year. And this is a fraction of that cost. So again, great consumer experience, high consumer engagement, better outcomes, and providing a great return on investment. And so we're really proud of the work they're doing as well. Oh, that's incredibly impressive. You have a wonderful job, Lee. You get to work with all kinds of interesting companies, as do I, which is why we're so lucky um, to be in our fields. So it's like it's like playing sports. It's like, you know, if you do that for a living, you never feel like you're going to work. Like every Absolutely. day you have to yeah. do what you love. And we love building companies and we're excited about working with the entrepreneurs who have a dream. And if we can be a small part of helping them achieve that, that's amazing. Well, your philosophy is exactly why so many companies want to work with you. And, and um, with that, I guess, Lee, we'll just want to thank you for your time. This has been incredibly insightful. Um, I've enjoyed learning from you as I always do whenever we get to get together. Um, and with that, uh, if anyone would like to learn more about how Seven Wire is rewiring the status quo, you can visit sevenwireventures.com to learn more about how McDermott can help you transform healthcare. Please visit mwe.com slash collaborative transformation. Thanks so much, Lisa. Great to be with you.